We'll be working with a handout uh, this morning, so our guys will be passing that, that out. This is a more like a worksheet that um, if you possibly can to write down the things that will be mentioned, and hopefully this will help us all learn together uh, this morning. We not only have our worksheets that we're passing out, but we have a number of new uh, midway pens back there where Brother Harry is standing, and so if you need a pen, just let the guys know and they'll get you a, a pen as well. I want to begin with Psalm number 42 just as a means of introduction this morning. Psalm number 42 Notice with me in Psalm 42, verse 1. Psalm 42 and verse 1. I'll read this as we continue to pass out our, our sheets. As a deer pants for the flowing waters, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? That's the mood that I want to set for us this morning is a thirsting for God's Word. A thirsting for God's Word. A a desire, more and more a desire for God's word. A this is something that cannot be demanded from one person to another person. It is something that must be developed in our heart. Much more than a duty reading God's word, studying it. Much more than a duty, a a desire uh, encompassing, dominating desire for God's Word. That's, that's the ideal uh, with our lesson this morning. Developing that. Um, you can title this any number of ways. Uh, the in, my ideal is the intensity of the desire for God and His Word. The intensity behind the desire for God's Word. Much more than just a duty. Much more than simply working something in day by day. Much more than simply attending church on a regular basis. We're looking for the mindset of absolute dependence uh, upon the Lord and His Word. That's the idea. And so please work with me here uh, with this particular 
uh, sheet. And my thoughts are this. What are some things in God's Word that can help us to want to have that dominating desire for His Word? What are some things in God's Word that can help us to have that overriding, dominating desire for His Word? And I hope that we can see this together, and I hope that this can this can accomplish at least a greater desire for God's Word. So first of all, number one here, when you notice how God's Word is described, then that hopefully can create a better desire, a greater desire. When you see how God's Word is described, described, then that can create a longing for His Word. For example, a part here, God's Word is oftentimes referred to as a treasure. As a treasure. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels, that's us. That's us. God created us out of the dust of the ground. Okay. And He put the charge of learning and spreading His knowledge and His Word in us. There's no other plan. There's no plan B. He put that charge in us. He put this treasure, He's given us this treasure, His Word, in order for us to spread the good news about our Lord. It's a treasure. It's a treasure. Job 23, verse 12, at least, I believe it's the American Standard Version has Job saying this, I treasure up the words of God's mouth more than my necessary food. King James Version says, I esteem His words, the words of His mouth, more than my necessary food. For Job, it was a treasure. Now while you're right there in Job, notice Job 23 verse 12. Notice the first part and the second part. The first part has Job saying, I have not departed from His commandments whatsoever. And then the second part shows us why. Because he treasures up the words of God's mouth more than his necessary food. That's what we're driving at here. This is is what we're trying to communicate. Now, notice also in this regard, Matthew 13, as Jesus talks about the kingdom... His kingdom. He says it's like unto a man who is out and there's a treasure hidden in the field and the man finds this treasure and when he finds uh, this treasure in the field he goes and sells all that he has and comes back and buys the entire field so he can have this treasure. Well, you can't have the kingdom of God without the word of the kingdom. So the gospel is this treasure what makes it a treasure? Well, when we follow the gospel, follow God's word, it can, it can bring forgiveness of our sins, pardon from God. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Forgiveness of sins. When we follow God's word, then it can bring us a family of God, the church. That's a tremendous blessing. When we follow God's word, then it can bring peace into our lives. What a tremendous blessing. 
When we follow God's Word, it can bring the best future into our lives because we know God is with us both here and in that life which is to come. There's so much about the Word of God that is a, is a, that is, that is a treasure to us. Okay. So it's described as a treasure. But also it's described as food, part B here. It's described as food. Jesus said, you know, in Matthew 4, verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Notice this. How are we going to live? Man shall not live by bread alone. We must live by the word of God. Again, notice in 1 Peter 2, verse 1. 1 Peter 2, verse 1. The the apostle says, "As As a newborn babe desires the sincere milk of the word, that he may grow thereby. That's, that should describe us. We desire God's word as a newborn babe would desire the milk. So we are to de- desire God's word. And again, notice what Job said in Job 23, verse 12. I esteem his words more than my necessary food. In other words, if it was, if it was before Job, he had two alternatives. If, if there was food on the left side and and God's Word on the right, he went to God's Word first every time. He thought more about absorbing God's words than he did about absorbing the food for his physical body. You see what we're trying to get over? Is to create and recreate. And maybe for some of you, just maintain the tremendous desire for God's Word. So it's described as a treasure, and it's described as also food uh, for the soul. You think about, guys, what you do to provide for your family. What you, there's nothing you wouldn't do to provide for your family. I remember when we first had our little one, Kayla, years ago when we were in Tennessee. And we're, we're scrapping uh, for a living. That's what you do. You do anything to, to uh, provide for your family. And you work two jobs, you work three jobs, no matter what it is. And you don't matter how early you have to get up and how late you have to stay up. No matter what else you've got to do, you're going to try to put food on, on the table for your family. We desire that. We do that because we want to be that person for your, for your family. But that's also the exact sort of desire we are to have uh, for the Word of God. And then also, God's Word, C part here, is described as light, L-I-G-H-T. Light, light. Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's light. Psalm 119, 130 says, The entrance of God's words gives light uh, to my soul. The entrance of God's word uh, gives light. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, the beautiful passages there, how, well, not so beautiful when it says, The God of this world blinds the minds of the unbelieving. But the reason the God of this world blinds the minds of the unbelievers is so that the gospel, the light of the gospel will not dawn on them. It will not shed on them. The devil's all about darkness. He wants to keep the light of God's message out of the hearts of those living on earth. He wants them to stay in darkness. You know, we read again and again that when we are away from Christ, we are in darkness. Uh, like 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says, We are called, by the way, we're called through the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2, 14. 
But God has called us out of darkness uh, into His marvelous light. Okay. Uh, Colossians 1.13 says, We have been delivered out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Colossians 1.13 And so before we come to Christ, uh, we're in darkness. But the gospel is the light of God. And so we ought to desire that, that light. And then D part here is um, God's word is our delight. Delight. It talks about the man of God here in Psalm 1. And his delight, his delight is in the law of his God. And in his law does he meditate day and night. And so notice D part and E part together here. God's word is our delight, but also the E part, God's word is our meditation. God's word is our meditation. It's one thing to to read words. It's another thing to put thought behind them. If we want God's words to become our words, to live within us, then we must meditate. We must read and read and read and read and read again. And then put thought to it. And then come back and read it again. And then meditate on it as we, as we pray. And meditate upon these words as we go about our day. So those words are not just words, but they're words within us. They're words that are our words. Because we want the mind of God to be occupying our minds. And so notice here how God's word is described. Okay. It's described as a treasure and as food as light, as a delight, and as meditation. And then the next part here, God's Word is truth. God's Word is truth. And these are the passages here, like John eight thirty two. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 4, verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. We speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4, verse 15. And here's the big thing on truth. God's Word is truth. Titus 1 verse 2 says, God cannot lie. If we want to be connected to God, then we've got to have His Word living in us. Oh, how many people are in this world and how many people are living their life based on falsehoods, based on things which are simply not true. They don't conform to anything that's God. Don't conform to anything that's real in relation to God. We want to know that we know that we're right and that we're true and we're following the true path and we've got to stick with God's Word. And so you see it there. So God's Word is described as truth. And then, of course, God's Word here on the uh, G part, God's Word is described as a sword. As a sword. Ephesians 6, verse 17 Take the sword of the Spirit, uh, which is the Word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews uh, 4 and verse 12. We remember that when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter took out his physical sword and he chopped off a man's ear in his defense of Christ. Christ healed that man's ear right away. But then this same Peter... On the day of Pentecost, he stands up. He has a different sword now. He has the, the Word of God sword. And he stands up 
And notice as he preaches Acts 2 and 37, the people are pricked in their heart. They're cut in their heart. This is the sword that God is interested in. This is God's sword. This is the kind of cutting that God wants us to do. It takes God's Word to cut through all the things of life. Like here I have the passage, uh, Acts 7, verse 51 down, where it says, you know, when Stephen is preaching, Stephen's stoned for his preaching there in Acts chapter 7. But the people that are listening to Stephen, it says there that they are uncircumcised in in their hearts and their minds. They are stiff-necked. In other words, they are hardened in their heart. Sometimes we get that way. It takes the Word of God, the sword, the Word of God, to cut through all the prejudice, to cut through all the false ideals that come into our, our minds. It takes the sword to work its way into our lives so that we'll know how to walk with God. Luke 8, 14 says, The things that choke out the Word are things like the cares, pleasures, and riches of life. But the, the Word is the sword, and it can cut away all the distractions of life. If we will let it do that, it will cut away all these distractions and lead us on the paths of righteousness. Now the big thing here before we leave this section, the big thing here is the key to being faithful is the Word of God. Notice what Job said there in Job twenty-three twelve. I have not departed from his commandments because I esteem his words more than my necessary food. Another big thing here is to notice how utterly and absolutely dependent we are to be upon God. It ought to just be that way. That we just can't get enough of it. And that we long for the next time to be able to get into that word. It is our it is our life. And that's the way God wants our hearts to develop. And then, notice in this section, before we leave it, how that the Word with godly people has always been a delight. It's always been a delight. It's something they meditate upon. It's a delight. That means time. That means time. What a challenge. But here's the situation. We have those walking on the earth who will take extra time to build up their body. Come on. They'll take extra time during their week to add to their bank account. They'll take extra time to support their team. But then how much extra time is given toward learning and soaking in God's Word. We'll leave our, the comforts of our house to go do something for our body or do something with our friends. Will we leave the comfort of our house at night to go and study the Bible with two or three other people? So first, notice how it's described. The second section on our worksheet here is to notice how that the Word operates in salvation. Notice how the Word operates in salvation. How it operates in salvation can also lead us to this greater desire for the Word. For example, a part, it produces faith. The Word produces faith. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing, hearing through the Word 
of Christ. We know John 20, 30, and 31, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So it produces faith. The B part here, it can bring salvation to us, of course. James 1.21 says we are to put away all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our soul. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the gospel, which I preached unto you wherein you stand and by which you are saved. You are saved. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so the word will save us. It produces faith and it will save us as well. And then the C part here is the word will make us free. It's what Jesus says in John 8, 31 and 32. If you continue in my word, he says, then you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. That's why James in James 1.25 calls the Word of God the perfect law of liberty. It's a law of liberty because it brings us out of the bondage of sin. It brings us out of the bondage of false teachings. It's the perfect law of liberty. Romans 6, Paul follows up very closely to Jesus in Romans 6, 17. He says, But God be thanked that whereas you were the servants of sin, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, the Word, the form of doctrine that was delivered unto you, being then made free from sin because you obeyed that form of doctrine, being then made free from sin, you have become the servants of righteousness. Yep, the Word of God will set us free. And then according to James 1 verse 18, depart, the Word of God will bring a new life. It, it will help us to be born again. James 1 verse 18 says, of His own will He begat us. He begat us with the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. And that's what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 23. He says, we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. That word will lead us to be born again. And then here, the E part, the Bible is the word of reconciliation. It will help us to be friends with God again. Long word there, reconciliation, reconcile, to make, to make friendly again, to be friends again. Sin, according to Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, creates a gap, creates a separation between us and God, as you know. Well, this word of reconciliation that was committed unto the apostles, and now we have it in our Bibles, this word of reconciliation, we can read it and we can... Uh, grasp it, we can understand it, we can apply it, we can submit to it, we can obey it, and then we can be made friends with God again. And so notice that on the E part. And then notice, if you will, that the Word not only will reconcile us, but the F part here, the Word will cleanse us. It will bring cleansing to us. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.22, We have purified our souls... You have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth. Purification, cleansing, cleansing. And Paul teaches that as well in Ephesians 5.26. He says the church has been cleansed by the washing of, the, of water and the word. 
and the Word. And the G part here is that God's Word contains the message of the cross. It's really the message of the cross. And so how does it operate in salvation? Well, it produces faith. It saves us from our sins. It sets us free from our sins. It will bring us a new life, help us to be born again. It will make us friendly again uh, with God. It will bring cleansing to our defiled hearts and souls and consciences. And it will also bring to us, put us face to face with the cross of Jesus, uh, without which we'd have no hope. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, the word of the cross is to them who are perishing, it's, it's folly. It's folly. We will never expect that everyone will receive the word of God because to many who are perishing, who are on their way to perdition, what this word has to say, the New Testament has to say about salvation, to them will always be foolishness. But unto us who are saved, us who are being saved, it is always going to be the power of God. Sometimes it seems like we live in a sort of detached world. A world without really being connected to what is real. What is real is whatever God is about. If we're not connected deeply to what God is doing, what, who God is, and what His Word has to say, then we're actually living in a non-world. We're living in a very detached unrealistic world. And I'm noticing this among us. I'm noticing this among people, families. We're willing to talk about anything that there is out there except for this. Why is that? Why is it we're willing to talk about anything that comes under the sun But when it comes to the soul salvation and the Word of God, it seems like there's just a big silence. silence, As if we're just going to wish people, we're going to wish people into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Think about it this way. God provides the means for us to eat physically. Now, food has to be produced. It just doesn't... We're blessed with the world that God has given us, but the food doesn't just crawl into our mouths. It has to be produced. Somebody's got to produce it. Produce it. We've got to go purchase it or we produce it ourselves. But God has given us the blessings of being able to produce it. Else, if we don't produce it, then it's never never going to bless our bodies. Same way in a spiritual realm. God's Word is here. It's here. But unless we know it, grasp it, desire it, love it, absorb it, apply it, submit to it, then it's not going to feed our souls and we're not going to receive salvation. We've got to come out of the fog of the world. The devil loves it. The devil loves us to be in this fog of discussing everything there is to discuss except for what's most important. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? And loses on soul. 
Quickly, the next section here on the bottom of your page, number three, is to notice how the early Christians treated the Word of God. What did they do with the Word of God? What we're doing, we're trying to look at some ideals in the Word of God that will create a thirst and longing for the Word of God. How did the early Christians treat the Word of God? You know this, Acts chapter 17, 11, and 12 Those in Berea were more noble because they searched the Scriptures daily whether the things they were hearing were so and they received that Word with all readiness of mind. They searched. The A part there is they searched. That's what they did, they searched. Now Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13, he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading of the Scriptures and to encouragement that comes from the Scriptures into the teaching that comes from the Scripture. He says in verse 15, meditate upon these things, give yourself wholly to them. The interesting thing there is that Timothy was a constant companion of Paul. Who was Paul? Paul was an absolute, direct, inspired apostle. He received revelations from heaven. Timothy was constantly with, with Paul. He traveled with Paul. He was, he was one of, he was a, Paul was a mentor to Timothy. And yet notice that Timothy still had to study and read and exhort and get back into the Scriptures. And if those guys in those early days needed to do that, then certainly here we are with the written Word. We need to do it as well. And not only Timothy, but remember Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul definitely on death row, definitely in some, some sort of dungeon now. But yet, what did he ask? Yeah, Timothy to come. And when he come, be sure to bring the books and the parchments. And Paul wasn't finished studying. He was still searching. He was still searching the Scriptures himself. himself. That's what they did. They searched. They, it was an unstoppable, unstoppable search for what they needed to be before God. It's impossible to know who you should be before God without searching those Scriptures. And then they prayed about it. Notice Paul's prayer in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. He says, I want you to pray for us, brethren, that the Word of God may have free course wherever it is that we're going to preach, that it may have free course. The English Standard Version there has this, says that the Word of God may speed ahead and be honored. I like both of those. I like the idea of it having free course. I love the idea of praying that the Word of God will have free course in people's life. That, in other words, that people will have nothing in their lives but a desire to, to be right with God. That all of the distractions and attachments may be set aside to be able to receive freely the Word of God. But I also love what the English Standard Version has here. That the Word of God may speed ahead and that people, when they grasp the Word, may, may be ready to honor God and His Word. And so what did they do? They searched the Scriptures and they asked people to pray for those that they were sharing the Word with. And of course, here in Acts 8, verse 4, C part, they would teach the Scriptures. So they searched the Scriptures, they prayed about the Scriptures, and they shared the Scriptures. They taught the Scriptures Acts 8 verse 4 talks about all of us. Those that were scattered abroad went about preaching the word uh, everywhere. People ask, well, 
What does, what does God's people need? People often ask, what does, what does the church need? Okay. There's no substitute. There's no shortcuts. Okay. There really is no strategy. From the first century mindset from the Almighty God, there really is no strategy. It's just one. And that is a, a desire and love for God's message that simply does not stop. And when that is seen in a very enthusiastic way um, in the lives of people, then that is something that just grows. People are attracted to that. They, they love the Word of God if they see it living and moving in people's lives. There really is nothing else. Everything else will fall into place. Okay. The Word of God is the answer to everything. Everything else will fall into place. The Second Timothy chapter 3 that Brother Chris read for us this morning, and when you look at the end of Second Timothy chapter 3, it says the Word of God is so powerful... It's profitable for so many things that it will thoroughly furnish us unto every good work. It will completely equip us unto every good work. That's what we're saying. The, the desire for God's Word will lead us into various good works. We won't be able to help it because we're reading it so much, we're loving it so much, we're submitting to it so much that we just, these good works will just come forth just as natural as our desire for God's Word is. Well, on the back of the sheet here, part number four is to look at the example of Jesus and how He had a relationship with the Word of God. We won't linger here, but remember in Luke 10, He commends Mary. Martha is cumbered about, busy about many matters in the house, but He commends Mary, He says, because she has chosen the good part that will never be taken away from her. So Jesus would commend the reading and the absorbing of His Word. He also rebuked. He rebuked the Sadducees in Matthew 22, verse 29. He says, You, need, you do not know the uh, Scriptures uh, nor the power of God. He says, You do err. You're wrong in your thinking because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. Jesus himself personally went into the synagogue. We read about near Nazareth in Luke chapter 4, 16. And he himself was able to pick up the scroll from Isaiah and read from it. And he also taught them how that that particular passage from Isaiah was fulfilled uh, in their ears and, and with their eyes on that very day. Jesus often taught that the Word is the seed. And we need to be sowing that seed and remember, Paul understood this eventually, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gives the increase. So notice how Jesus handled the Word. We'll mention that once again here in a moment. Go on to number 5 now. What we're hoping is, just a hope, because these are matters, this is, this is a matter of the heart. All I can do is hope. And all I can do is control my own heart and mind. 
Well, here are some things. What we're doing today is looking at some things from the Word of God that hopefully will instill a hunger for uh, that Word. But number five here is to think about Judgment Day. Jesus taught often that the words that He spoke, those same words will judge us on that day. How have we received God's words? What have we done with God's words? Have we taught God's words? Those will judge us on that day. Acts 17 verse 30, Paul says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Whatever has happened in old times, Paul says, that was then. Now there's no excuse. Ignorance is not ignorance is not bliss, and ignorance is not an excuse. Not in God's sight. Not in God's sight. You see, Second Thessalonians one seven through nine, Paul teaches us that God will come one day in flaming fire, taking vengeance. Notice this: in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and do not obey His gospel. So Judgment Day itself ought to instill within me a greater desire for His Word. Mark chapter 8, 38, Jesus said, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of Him on that day. On that day when He comes in the glory of His Father, on that day when He comes in the glory of His Father with all His holy angels, if we have been ashamed of His words, and there's no other word for it, by the way, if we neglect, if, if God's words are not dominant in our heart, if it's not our appetite, if, it, if it's not our uh, greatest longing, then make no mistake about it, we are ashamed of Him and His words. And if we are ashamed of Him, He will be ashamed of us on that day. Back to Jesus now. As Jesus hung on the cross, He quoted from God's Word. Oftentimes. I mean, almost constantly, constantly, as He hung on the cross. Can you imagine the ability to do that? Can you imagine having the presence of mind as you're in intense pain, you're still able to recall the words of God and how that applies to you. So there He is on the cross and he recalls to himself Psalm 31 and verse 5. And that says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And that really is not only a tremendous thought and a way of appreciating our Lord and what he did for us on the cross. But it's also a great motivation for us because he's saying that if we will commit ourselves and have this desire that we are emphasizing again and again today, then God's going to take care of us. God's got ourselves. As Paul said in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, I know him whom I have believed. And I know, Paul says, 
that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. He's able to guard that. He's able to guard that which I have committed in him unto that day, against that day. And so this has been a very quick overview, if you will, of how the Word of God inspires us to study and absorb the Word of God. But I hope it has been encouraging. And you know what God wants from us. And may we have a greater desire and love for His Word. As Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation day and night. That's the idea. If we can assist someone this morning with any spiritual need, we have what we need to do to do that. We're not, we don't say that in an arrogant way, but we have the Word of God. We have what we need to assist one another to grow closer to Him, to turn from sin, to submit to His will, and to do His will the rest of our lives. And we can help you in any way, with any spiritual need. It may be that someone's ready today to put Jesus on in baptism. Maybe that someone just wants to, to start again. Maybe, maybe that's your need. Maybe you feel dry. You can't get water out of a dry well, can you? And if we're not living upon God's Word, if it's, if it's not our greatest desire, then our well becomes dry. And we're not any help to anybody. Maybe you just want to say, look, I've been a dry well too long. I want to get started again with our Lord. Won't you come right now as we stand together, as we sing today?